one of the best business owners uh, that we have in our in our in our in our world right now is Elon Musk. And look what he did with the Cybertruck. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he like, validated. And you know, I think honestly, I think he broke that window on purpose. You, to catch a little buzz, probably. Yeah, kind of like, oh, it's it's. I I just have this eerie feeling that the reason it happened was because there was this idea. It's coming out, but we still have things we have to fix. I I just think that there was something ingenious in that. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back for another episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Moved 30. Become entrepreneur strong and get into mental quickly as a business owner. But today I am super excited. Someone that I've known for a while. We got reconnected. Someone that I've seen do some really cool things. Mr. Mr. Ross. Krista Foley. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be on. Yeah, man. Yes, I, had to good give, I had to give you that intro. I had to get that intro yeah. in there, you know? Yeah. Or drive it well, home. Well, it's funny because I didn't the first time I met you, I had no clue who you were even. I, you just showed up at that event. Mm-hmm. And uh and it, you kind of have one of those personalities where it's like you kind of feel like you know the guy you're alive. So oh, I appreciate cool. reconnecting. It's nice to to be able to chit chat with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this too. You know, we all go on our journeys and and we were just talking a minute ago about music and so I've got some questions that are probably come up. Um a lot of this stuff that we like to talk about here is kind of how we got here. And I think that that is very valuable for business owners that meet someone like yourself or someone that's in business or they know that there's a path, right? So, I'm going to just kind of throw something out there and uh there was something that you had said and it kind of sounded like this. He said, uh, after an amazing year in 2018, I fully automatic my, automated my agency. I will most likely get done in first 30 days of 2019, more work than you will get done in all of 2019. What was going on in 2018, man? Uh, it's funny that you even bring that up. It's funny as you say that too, because you know, you're in these different spaces in your life. So I had an agency back then. I've sold my agency since then. We ended up, I did exactly what I said too. I ended up building that agency to over 220 clients. And we were charging a minimum, you know, 3,500 a month for our agency. And um, and what I was going through at the time was I, re- I had this shift where when you first start a business, you're doing everything yourself and then you burn out. And that's where most people quit. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to coach or I'm going to do a program or I'm going to help other people just get to where I was. And that's why you see so many, like, for instance, I'll just use agency space. I don't know if anybody listening to this is even an agency owner, but I'll just use that as an example. Uh, You see a lot of marketing agency owners, they grow to about that 10 to $20,000 a month mark. And then they stop to do courses and coaching and stuff like that. And because that's because they realize how hard it was to actually acquire that many clients because you're doing wearing way too many hats. And I hit this point where I had a burnout moment and I talked about this a lot in back in 2019 and 2018. Um, So it kind of feels like I'm having a little bit of a, what do you call that? Where you were like a flashback here. But I remember I was in Miami, we were visiting my in-laws and we were on our vacation and I had a little boy who was being, 
nine months old or so. And my wife was like, Ross, we've been on this vacation for four days, but you're here, but you're like not here. You've been on your computer, your phone, you've been working the whole time. And I had a picture of me that it's just so stupid because I like took a picture of myself working by the pool. And at the time I thought I was cool. Mm-hmm. And then I realized in that, like later on, I had the realization that that's not cool. I should be in the pool. Like, why am I working? And it, and it re- made me realize how tied I was to the business. And so that's when I started at that point, it was like, I'm either going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to quit, which was not an option. <laughs> we needed the money or I was going to find a way to systemize this. And um, there was nowhere really to turn where people had done that with an agency. You've got some really smart business owners out there who can teach you about systems and operations, but they never did it specifically with the agency. So what I looked at is I divided up my time. I said, where's most of my time being spent right now? It was in media buying and appointment setting. Uh, And I didn't really trust anyone just yet to handle the closing. So mm-hmm. I, I hired people to run my ads and I brought in at the time stay at home moms to get paid for appointment setting appointments for my agency. So now I was just selling. Eventually we had so many appointments coming in that I was able to get people who wanted to close. Cause they're like, yeah, you have 15 appointments a day. They were excited to do it on commission only. So yeah. it was really about leverage. When I made that statement, it was about leverage because if you just look purely based off numbers, most of these agency owners might get a hundred cold calls in, in a year. If like they're not, they're just not pushing it. And we were just pounding out, you know, thousands of calls by the end of my agency. When I ended up uh, being done, we had at one point 47 Filipinos calling and we were stealing all of them from Chase Bank and T-Mobile. <laughs> we were yeah. just offering, we were offering them a hundred dollars more per hour yeah. to come work. For us and it worked great and so um you, you know that's what i meant when i made that statement was it was just about leverage it wasn't a yeah. meaning it, it's taking the shift from boy i have to do all this myself to okay this i'm gonna have this person this this and this and it works the same way now you know like i have um uh, i've had people say like ross how are you doing so much because it looks like you got your software consolidated you run this private investor program that you got going on you're in this equipment business. Like, oh, what do you, well, I'm not developing software. Right? We have developers that are developing the software, you know? And so it's just about leveraging a team to get things done. And when I said that, I was speaking directly to all these solopreneur agencies. I think it's, um, it's interesting kind of how we get there. And I think that you, it takes you back to, I'm going to go back just one more and this takes you back to shoot. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Maybe you can pick the year, but uh, it says, Hey guys, check out this new product that my store is selling. <laughs> you can order one on our new website. Do you remember what website that was? Probably play it by ear. Planet mobile. That would US. be my guess. Oh, okay. That would be my second <laughs> business. Yeah. So, so my that- first business was, I, I've only had two stores, a guitar shop and a cell phone repair shop. So that's where I was doing it. And in those, I think that probably in both of those, um, something that I would, you know, I've obviously we talked about, I love music, play guitars and things like that. And when we look at phones, you had an input, but you also had a, a delivery. So on both of those, you actually, you know, you, I don't know if you guys, did, was it a local shop that you had like a guitar yeah, shop? Yeah. And, 
Yeah, and I kind of sucked at both of them. Uh, just being you, honest with you. What do you think that is? So I'll share with you where that was. There was the things that I was good at was always the marketing of the guitar shop. I was good at t- guitar and teaching, but I just was. I was seventeen and a half, man, eighteen mm-hmm. ish. You only know what you know at 18 years yeah. old, you know. I got really sick of teaching um, kids guitar. But I'll tell you what I think. So well, when I was 14 and a half, 15, somewhere around there, maybe even a little younger because I was homeschooled, I got a job working at a ski and cycle store, West Bend, mm. Wisconsin. It was the best thing ever for me. And it was, uh, but I also had some, some things I didn't realize. So the owner of that shop, He's still, he's a great friend of mine still. He's a good entrepreneur, but he's this kind of guy who he's really organized. He can do everything at the store, like better than most of the employees. He's just a different brain than I am. And so I thought that to be an entrepreneur meant that you had to be really good at all the, the positions and the hats. And in my cell phone repair shop, uh, I, I was always focused on learning how to do things, you know, and the problem was that that's just not me. Like I, it took me uh, literally seven years to realize his name was Kevin. I am not Kevin. Like I always compared myself because uh, he was like a role model in the entrepreneurship yeah. world to me. Like he was doing for a local business doing, you know, a lot of money. You know, I saw the revenue. I won't say it publicly per, per year out of a little ski and cycle shop. And it run a really tight little operation. And I looked at that and I was always comparing myself to that. And I had this moment that it's not my, that's not my genius. That's not who I am. I, and I tried to do that in both of those businesses. And that's why the things that were successful in those businesses were the marketing, you know, like I, I was good at getting customers, but there were always like loose ends. So the guitar shop, it was, um, it, it that was probably actually you could say a pretty successful business like it was cash flowing it wasn't there was, i just got sick of it cell phone repair shop though it was my first time really having to dig deep into operations because you've got like 100 phones and parts and stuff coming in from everywhere and that i wasn't so great at and i was always tra- breaking and trying to fix that system handling employees and, and doing all that stuff when I stopped that, though, it was because I have a spinal cord disease and I um, I was falling in my store like I would just be walking and I would fall. And I I've, I still have the issue, but now I've gotten better at I don't ever commit to one leg. So if you ever notice, my my strides are a little goofy when I walk because I don't want to commit to a leg because you just never know when that leg's going to give out and you, and you eat it. And so that sent me into this going to doctors and they finally found out I had stringomelia and I like, I can't do this. And I basically sold the store for pennies on the dime. I remember I walked out of there with, after paying things off like $6,000 to my name, but like $60,000 of debt, <laughs> like yeah. I walked out of there and not in a good position. And so because of that, I was like, whatever I do next has to have zero startup cost. Has to be something that focuses on one of my geniuses and it has to happen like real quick because I got a kid and a wife. She doesn't work. And we've got $6,000 in our bank account and about $2,000 a month in expense. So like yeah. I got three months. And, um, you know, I don't want to get ahead or go into a story you don't give a crap about. But, you know, what I ended up doing was January 2017, I would lock myself in the guest room of our little apartment. I'd make cold calls every single day 
I wouldn't stop till I had a hundred calls. In that first month, I did just over 10 grand in sales starting my agency. Most agency owners don't make a sale for whatever, but I was relentless. What was the deliverable and who, who were you going after? Yeah. So it's funny. The reason I even got into it was because there was, um, uh, there was a guru, ClickFunnel guru who was pitching this Facebook ads agency thing. And so I got into the program and realized like no one was actually making money. <laughs> so what I did was I was like, okay, here's something interesting. I heard him saying there that Facebook will let me spend money and they're not going to charge me until it hits $500. And then they're going to take out the ads. So this was really stupid. <laughs> I don't recommend this. But I, I started calling chiropractors and I would say, I'll make you a deal. At first, I didn't do it. Like I was just trying to sell them straight up. And then just like a few days, maybe a weekend, I had a guy who I, I got pissed because everyone was rejecting me. So then I was like, I'm going to call the Southerners. They're much nicer. Those are my people because I grew up in the Carolinas. Yeah, yeah. For a little while. And I had a guy who was like, man, I get calls like this every single day. So I'm going to ask you the same thing that I ask everyone else. Why would I hire you over the guy who called me 10 minutes ago? And I said, because I'll work for free for a week and I'll pay for the ad spend. And if you, if I bring you a customer, you hire me for $1,500 a month. If I bring you nothing, you don't hire me. Okay. I said, you have nothing to lose. You, you don't have to, hire, you know, it's like, I'm not making you sign anything. Uh, and he said, okay. So I go spend 150 bucks on Facebook ads out of their, my credit line of $500. Yeah. And I was like, I just got to close it before that bill comes due. And I would bring them a patient or two. And I, then I upsold some of them on websites. And that's how I got to 10 grand in my first month. Then I quit offering websites because that was bogging me down. But that second month, we broke 25, 30 grand by offering the same exact structure. And uh, by the end of that year, I had over 50 reoccurring clients. I had moved, I started moving away from chiropractors because it was like every week. And I started finding a niche in like the equipment world and attorney and, you know, loan officer. So we started realizing like we could, we were pretty good in all these different verticals. And that's how I started. But it's funny because I, I, I remember I, when I met you, I was like, you know, it'd be interesting because, you know, I'd done some other stuff of fun. I was like, I wonder what some interesting issues. I remember you telling me like, hey, Jason, I think you should look at machinery. You literally told me to my face. You should look That's at machinery. I, oh, it's really funny because I don't know. It was just like a side conversation. I don't know why I remembered that. Um, but I, I think um, I, what your statement is, I think it should be shared. And this the statement was, I don't recommend this to everyone. And I think that as being a business owner, owning businesses, I, I think that has to be the move. And I think that business owners, I think that there's that risk that we all have to take, you know, it's like, all right, I'm gonna get into this program. And you kind of went for it, but you really couldn't blame him. Could you? No. Well, no, so it I'll was tell almost you. like you take the risk. And I think that these risks that you are talking about, I think that as business owners, like we, we test the word entrepreneur, right? Going for something that's not already created. Right. So the idea would be, I'm just going to swing the bat. And I think what you're sharing is I was willing to just swing the bat and kind of put it on the line and you were going to lean on your zone of genius that you had kind of learned. You're like, okay, if I can get them through, I can maybe upsell them. Okay. At least I have a good personality. You know what I mean? Like you were kind of like, I've talked to enough people. I have a shot. So it was almost like you, from just the conversation I hear, it's almost like you had at least a 60% chance. <laughs> yeah. Well, see here. 
Here's the thing that I would say. So I don't blame anybody on a course because you, you make your own educated decision, but I'll tell you what I've come to realize, you know, several, several years into the game. I mean, at this point I'm 32. So I've been self-employed since I was, you know, just under 18. And uh, other than a six month little gap there where I, I worked with a orthodontist doing marketing for six to nine months. But what I've realized is that I know nothing. Even today, I will say, um, I know nothing. And the reason why I say that is because we evolve, we change, and everybody's path is a little bit different and their goals are all different. And one of the most dangerous things in the world is that entrepreneurs, they go online, they see the highlight reel. Nobody shares the crap that people go through. And, and you get these guys who are successful and they'll make a blanketed statement. And then other people think that that must be true because they look successful and they go follow that blanketed statement. And, and it might not be true. And so I will say, I, so I'm working on this book that I started writing this past month called Relentless. And the thing that I have found is that the most successful people I know have learned to make decisions without knowing what the results will be. And they've learned to uh, be okay not knowing, but they build faith that they'll figure it out. And the reason, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, let's say you launch a Facebook ad campaign. This is just as an example. You run a Facebook ad campaign. A lot of people say, well, what's my cost per lead going to be? How many clients will I get per ad? You know, my, what's my cost per ad? They want to know all this up front. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and you know what my answer always to this is? <laughs> if somebody has an answer for you on that, run. I said the trick is to spend, figure, just assume that the first $1,000 or so that you spend, you're going to lose money. Just imagine yeah. it doesn't exist and that that is all about just failing fast. So that way you figure out what's going to work and then you scale that up. And that's some, a mindset most people don't have. That's actually one of the reasons probably you and I both underlyingly don't have an agency because people want you to like give them the security and assurance that does not exist yeah. Yeah. unless you lie to them. <laughs> it does yeah. not exist. And so, you know, like look at consolidating. I am almost $200,000 into this development of this software, a year and a half of my time into it right now. I just gave the team... We just broke cash flow positive just this month. I've been losing like between ten and fifteen thousand dollars a month for over a year and a half now on this, with absolutely no clue if it's going to work. Yeah. Well, we, we just broke. Got close. We're almost two hundred users strong now. We just broke. Um, it became semi cash flow positive, and the first thing I said was we need to hire more developers. You know, gave them that recommendation. And even my dev team, like, Ross, what if this doesn't work? I said, that's not even an option. It's not even an option to do that. Now, I did a little bit of market research to where I knew, like, I have a good feeling. Like, I pre-sold 50 of these things at 1500 bucks off of a Canva mock-up to know, like, hey, this thing, you know, people are willing to pay for it. But anyway, that, that's kind I, of a, I, a I long... I think that the idea of relentless, um, and I think it, it's interesting because I was having this conversation with someone also the other day, and I was like... You know, it's not so much that you're being a fool, but you are putting yourself into positions that you would not have been if you didn't just go for it. And I think that what ends up happening is there's these forks in the road. 
And if you continue to go down this path that somewhere down that line, there's going to be a, a decision and you're going to have to say, I'm going to keep going. But sometimes there's these, like, you can't see what's on the other side of the hill unless you just go up over the hill. And I think people don't really, I mean, I do this podcast. I don't know what are you going on 80 episodes and we'll probably do hundreds. I don't do this to make money. At the end of the day, I know it has a massive benefit. It's good to the to the brand. I get to meet great people. But I do know that if I keep doing them, maybe 200 episodes, 300. Oh, I got a good shot of this actually being something. And I think that people are thinking too short term. Would you agree with that? 100% because you have to build a moat. The money is on the other side of your moat. And you're 80 podcast in. I think I heard Hormozzi say he didn't even have anything start popping until like 200 yeah. How many people, you know, so how many people are willing to record to, you know, 80 people to, you know, do it for nothing? Um, it's, it's the pain. Now, I will say this. You said something a second ago that I think is important and people should go deep on. It's not stupid and foolish if you have, um, or if there is substantial evidence that the thing that you're doing it has chances of success. So I'll give you just an interesting example. And my, I, I just not going to say per se what it is. Cause I love the guy and I don't want to embarrass him. But I had a friend not too long ago and he came to me and said, Ross, I have this product that I created and I patented it. I've got the trademarks. I've had thousands of them built and I just need help selling it. Like, I don't know how to sell it. And he was like wanting, like almost like wants you to sign an NDA to tell you what it is. And I'm like, this is me for coffee and let's talk. Well, he shared with me what it was. And I just was like, oh my God, this is, I was trying to be nice to him. I didn't tell him this, but I was thinking to myself, this is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. It is never going to be popular. It does not solve a mass problem. And I don't think that I even want, like I've already wasted too much of my time talking about it. And I say that because I have enough business experience now to where you can look at something, keep in mind, your gut could be wrong. Let the market speak. But, sure. and that's, so my process is like, let's, I never build something that's not a problem I'm having. That's the first. Mm -hmm. If I am not going to be an active user of that, I, it's not, it's a bad idea. So for instance, I am not going to go build a software for gym owners. I'm not a gym owner. I've never helped mm -hmm. gym owners. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something that I could do, but I'm not. Does that mean it's a bad idea? Whatever. Nope. I just know nothing about it. And, you know, the best, if you want to know who your ideal avatar should be, go back three years, four years, whatever, before you could solve the problem you have and slap your own, look at your own face and say, who was that? Because I remember, do you have you ever read Russell Brunson's book where he talks about like printing out a picture and doing right for the avatar? You're saying, yeah, for the ideal avatar. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Was that like I went a dream through, board kind of thing? Yeah, and I went through that process when I first started getting into marketing, and I realized like I literally like just described me, but put a name, a different name on it. <laughs> it was literally me. I, I realized I was thing. my ideal customer. Yeah. I was trying so, to find more of me. That's really what I'm doing. I'm trying to exactly. find more of me. That's why I don't believe in ask campaigns because no one knows what the heck they actually want. I don't, you'll never catch me going to a market and saying, Hey, do you guys, I know what you, can I guess what you're thinking? 
the Ford Henry Ford poster. If people knew what they wanted, they would have said, or if you would ask no, them what they wanted. No, the ask method. Yeah, the I, I don't believe in it. Method. I don't subscribe to it at all. I'll be honest with you. I don't either. And I, I built an entire sales process around eliminating that. And I'll try to just share with it kind of to jump in on that is that what I found was that as I had studied each one of these guys and helped people and kind of gone through this whole process, I go back and I think that you will, because I think part of your function is sales as well. Um, there was a statement that was made to me when I was in sales and I was young. And the statement was, I don't care what you say to the person, Jason, at the very end, I want you to ask them to buy from you. And at the time I was young and I didn't kind of get it. But what I realized is like, you're not even giving yourself a chance to make any money and you're not even giving yourself a chance to move. So you get very discouraged. So the idea was, I don't care if you screw everything up at the time, it was always be closing, you know, meet and greet yeah, yeah. process. But it was like, just at least ask for the sale. Hey, could I, would you like to buy it from me? I don't care how horrible it is. And so I took that process and I started, I had to actually someone get on the call with me. And I was like, man, what's, what's the issue? Like you have all the information, you have scripts, you have what's like, what's your issue? I said, well, I'm working with somebody and I'm not going to say who their name is. They're pretty big name. And they said, we're working with them. And I've been on these, on these ask kind of campaigns and, and um, research for four months. So you've been researching for four months and I'm like, holy smokes. I'm like, why don't you just ask him if they want to buy it? <laughs> we went back on and he's like, I asked three people to buy it instead of researching. I sold three deals. But isn't like, that incredible? Yeah. I, was like, I think market research is great, but I think you can ask questions at the same time. Say, do you want to buy something? And the way that I look at it is you're failing forward with a chance to make some money. Then you could actually test at a higher level because i think that a lot of this industry a lot of it is there's not enough volume like there's not enough volume and people get they get like a slug or like a turtle and then you just get depressed because you don't have enough people to really answer that very real you don't not like coca-cola and you have like send out a survey and just get the answer it, it just doesn't work that way so i i, I agree with you i, I just well, don't i don't agree i'll with tell you, you. I'll tell you where I think it where it makes sense for people and why I think it even exists. Um, so let's just take if you and I go both play guitar, that but we've never played together. Mm -hmm. That you and I are discussing guitarist and musician and like let's just and then we finally get together after a long time of playing guitar or talking about guitar. And I go, you go, okay, this one's an E, and I go, okay, um, what's the E chord? You would be like. So you don't actually play guitar. I had to ask you. Did I just the get question? <laughs> yeah, you like you. I had to ask you because I didn't know. And I think what happens is that, like for instance, there was a. I was hired a few years ago to come out and do some consulting for a, a corporation, and they sell equipment. And I'm sitting there teaching like three, four ladies marketing, and none of them have ever ran any of the equipment that they were selling. Those are people that have no choice but to go do an ass campaign because they don't know the problems that that person's going through. So I yeah. get like, okay, that person needs to go ask and try to figure out those questions. But in the world that you and I live in, for instance, with coaches and courses and all this stuff, 
And that's why I say I don't make a blanketed statement because maybe for some people it doesn't. But in this particular instance for us, if I see a guy who is claiming to be able to help you run like a seven-figure agency, asking you like, what are you struggling with? What is this? What is that? And he's asking you all your problems. I immediately know he doesn't, he's never done it. Because if, mm-hmm. if he has, he would know these things. And I have consistently come out with innovative products and programs and trainings for the last five, six years. Because I'm just taking them down. I've never had to ask anyone once. Is this, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, what's your problems that you're starting? I've experienced them all. Yeah. I, and, I, yeah. and I can tell you which ones are even harder. And, and that's why I say I don't believe in the asking pain. I'll tell you the secondary reason why I don't believe. So you will see people trying to learn how to convert warm. I like how this podcast episode's like, why will asking campaigns don't work? But that wasn't even like, not even the spiel. Who cares? We're ranting and raving, right? Yeah, we're just- we do another one at the end of the year and we make another problem. <laughs> yep. That sounds good. Um, I was like, it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> so Damn I was on. thinking like in Facebook groups, people will go, they'll take a warm post to make an offer and they'll pitch it to their audience to try to see if it's going to work before they run ads. And they'll get one that does work and uh, they'll put it on a net and it doesn't work. Well, you're an idiot because you're asking people who know, like, and trust you Mm -hmm. about things. You're not asking cold people things, which is silly. Anyways, I've always started with cold traffic, moved Mm -hmm. it to warm traffic, unless I'm trying to validate something quick. Like for instance, with consolidate it, like I said, I validated it. I went on Canva, literally made a mock-up of what the software might look like. And I said, hey, guys, uh, we already had, we did, we already had an internal tool built out like this, but not for SaaS. Um, we're going to start, we're going to start building this out in February. We're doing a pre-sale now of lifetime license, 1500 bucks, told them exactly the problem it would solve. If you're interested, type in blah, 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 hashtag. That post blew up within two weeks. We had like 40 to 50 of them sold at 1500 bucks a pop. No ads, nothing. They pulled out their wallet. And so then I was like, people are going to want this. Like, this is the product that's validated in my mind. So that's why going to circle this back and we're not ADD, you had said, you know, are we, we're not foolish. No, I'm not foolish. Like, I I had over $50,000 worth of pre-sales validating an idea before I ever actually made it. You know, so, so maybe I the idea go- is that the ask is is maybe uh, maybe the maybe it's understand fifty percent, get fifty percent of what what is the main hook offer that you have, and then you burn the ship. You have you to go burn for the ship. it, and then you yeah. go, does anybody buy this? Instead of asking fifty people, if you get people, yeah, I'd buy that. Now that now you can get more granular granular you can get deeper you can ask the further questions but i think that the thing that people miss is they're trying to ask them off people that haven't purchased off the thing they want to buy a lot of information that i find is good is when i actually am working with someone at the end i go hey man is there what were the things that triggered you because they're now in the program yeah so now i have actual people that have gone through some form of process on why they actually did it now I have some true ammunition because I think what you're saying is when people are actually in the conversation asking them, it, it's a framework that I think their mind is difficult. It's hard for that person to answer because it's it's a thing that you it's the what is it? Uh, it's a thing that you don't know that you don't know that kills you. 
Well, and, it, it, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I will say this, and I've never shared this publicly live, so this is my first time. One of my little secrets that I always do is when I want to see if an idea is good or something would be validated, I go make a mock-up of it, and then I will pitch it like it's already coming. Like this is already happening. And because people are more likely to buy something that they don't feel like, well, this could or couldn't happen. Like it's not like a GoFundMe or what not a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter where, you know, if they don't reach a certain point, it's not going to happen. People will also have that fear of missing out and things like that. So like if you're wanting to launch something, don't be like, hey, guys, I'm thinking about doing this. So I'll yeah, give I'm you watching. just an example. A few weeks ago, we wanted to, because we're going to start doing almost like Hyros like attribution print tracking inside of Consolidator. But I wanted to see, like, is this something that's going to be a big deal for us? And I put a high fifty price tag on it. And I mocked it all up. And I said, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to open up 10 lifetime spots. You know, and that's how I validated the idea of the attribution. Because I, I, I didn't think- say... You know, like, if, oh, we might not do this because if it doesn't, yeah. if it doesn't take off, you know what I'm going to do? Refund everyone who bought it yeah. and just say, hey, uh, we decided to go a different direction. Here's your money. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? I think that this is a great conversation. I've never brought this up because I think it sounds kind of ruthless. Um, but so I was in the e-commerce business and I was in, I was, uh, I had bought this other company and I had had one business. I started it out of my house. And then I, uh, this guy came to me and he says, look, my, my, I was, he was in the chopper motorcycle business and I actually worked for Harley Davidson and, um, I was in the fashion business. So I was around the time of like, I was in the fight world when all the fight like brands were coming out, tap out, like all those in the fight world. And then I was in the core fashion business, which was like, like uh, surf brands, snowboarding, you know, core fashion, things like that. And so once I bought his business, I went into the business and the team that was there, um, we were having troubles with our customers because they were like not getting the product. So on the front end, they, the entire customer service team, what they were doing is they were saying, okay, we got to solve their problem. And how do I get this? And I just stopped for a second. And I said, look, this might not sound right. I said, but... (laughs) everybody take this correctly, but screw the customer for a little bit. Meaning we need to actually have good relationships with my vendors, because if I can have good relationships with my vendors, then I can actually solve the problem. And when I said that is, if those customers that we burn those customers, I will return their money. It was exact process. I'll return their money. If they're pissed off, we can't figure it out. Let's return their money, but I'm really not solving the problem. And so once I actually said, I'm okay with having people purchase something from me and it not working out. That changed everything for me because I wasn't held hostage to being perfect to the person that I was right in front of me. And I think that this ideology is the same thing. And I'm going to use e-commerce as a, as a, as an example, because it's there, but e-commerce is about seven to 9%, sometimes 10% return rate. So you're willing to have that once you get going, you already do have a return rate when you're running at high volumes. So I think in the beginning, if you could take that mentality, put it back into the new side and just be like, it's just like having returns. If it doesn't work out, I return it to them. You really have this mindset of I could go and sell anything. Yeah. And you know what? I think that to your point, 
though, there's also a, like, there's like an ethic behind it as well. So like, I'll give you an example. A lot of people are burned because people are doing that with crypto and crap like that. But when you have a, if you have a track record for fulfilling on your promises, uh, like, because I do believe there's a difference between selling something. Like, for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example um, at CarrotCon. Do you remember CarrotCon? At the very end of one of the days before Damon John, there was a speaker that came representing ClickFunnels. And I'm not going to try to rip on ClickFunnels, but I'm going to rip on ClickFunnels. I remember and he had, he, yeah, I won't say the name, but it lasted, his stack lasted for about an hour going through just yeah. the stack of his offer to where people were like, by the end of it, they were done with it. Well, at the end, he had a bunch of people buy it. I had almost every single person emailing me saying, where are all the bonuses? I found out they were just testing out to see if that bonus offer would work and they didn't have any systems to set up to fulfill it. I think that's enough. But on the other side of it, like for instance, if you're, if you are, for instance, let's say you're an expert at SEO and I'm not, but let's say you're an expert and you're going to put out an SEO course and you want to validate your, your methodology to your group or your warm network. It's going to be much more impactful if you say, give a date and you say, Hey, at the end of this month, I'm releasing a course on blah, 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 and how I do this, 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 and this. Uh, if you would like to get in on the pre-sale, you can uh, type this blah, blah, blah now. And you're going to get 50% off. No fancy funnels. No this or that. I'm just sending an invoice. Ask, answer any questions you want. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people end up buying from it. That's, when you ever see me say no fancy funnel, <laughs> just sending an invoice, that's because I'm validating. Now, I always have, I've already got the momentum that I'm fulfilling like I've already got the wheels in motion and all I'm doing is, is using these as a way to kind of give me a tailwind to push, keep pushing me going. But I'm also doing it so I don't get deep enough into something to realize just build something nobody wants. Yeah. I think you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's not like I'm just like taking people's money and then like, well, maybe we'll go build that. Fix. Like we've already got the momentum there. And, and I learned that the hard way because I'll tell you something that kind of happened. I'm good at selling what's coming, but you have to have a team that can deliver that promise. Mm -hmm. And I love my old business partner, but the guy cannot meet timelines to save his life. And uh, I, But I love the crap out of him. Great human being, a genius developer. He's a software developer. And so what would happen is that I would come out and I'd say, okay, with this program, you're also going to get this, this, and this. Well, some of those things he's still working and it's been a year and a half later. And so I can't live like that. That's why I, I, now I have complete control over the dev team in the sense of like, we're back and forth all the time. You got to be able to deliver on those things. So, and I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's a, there's a line of perfectionism that you just have to let go. I mean, one of the best business owners uh, that we have in our, in our, in our, in our world right now is Elon Musk. And look what he did with the Cybertruck. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and he like, validated it. And you know, I think honestly, I think he broke that window on purpose. You, to catch a little buzz, probably. Yeah, kind of like, oh, it's it's I I just have this eerie feeling that the reason it happened was because there was this idea it's coming out, but we still have things we have to fix. I I just think that there was something ingenious in that. 
because I think it's like, I share this with people that sometimes, and here's a little one that I share too, is like, if you're going to come out with something, go do it a little bit and then call it your 2.0, because then at least people have a feeling like you've burned through some of the problems. And I it's think with like the cyber truck, I think it's like, oh, okay. By the time it comes out, they will have fixed the problem that they just showed. And that shows that you progress forward. And that's really what people want. Even in customer service, people contact you as long as you're willing to solve the problem. I mean, look at, um, and I'm going to try not to, let's call it C-funnels here, <laughs> but 2.0 on, on the streets is getting their ass kicked right now. Oh, it's you terrible. Know? It's terrible. And I'm hearing a lot of things that people are saying that they were supposed to get and how it was supposed to be delivered. And that's easy. And I agree, nitpick it. But on the other side, for him, in his, maybe his philosophy is, well, we're going to make some people upset, but eventually we'll get them to turn over. And then that story will be gone. That's the only thing I could think that I'll be honest with you to that mindset. Hey, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't know there was no. a delay here. So I thought you paused. No, it's all good. Continue. Yeah. Continue. No, no. I was saying, I think it's, a, I think there's a part of a mindset that the higher level that you go, there is a set of, it's almost like war. I'm going to take my, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my, my army and I'm going to lose 20%, but I will. So, I want to share I'm my saying philosophy it's right. on there. I'm not saying yeah. it's right. <laughs> yeah. I'll t I think that everybody where they're at in their business. though, it changes the way that they can play the game. Like what we're mm -hmm. discussing right now is fine for a startup, but let me tell you my opinion on something like, for instance, uh, Let's say that Apple came out with a phone and it just didn't work. And they're like, we're working on it. We'll, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll be pushing updates. You'd be like, um, it's gotten worse like than the old one. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. You can't go backwards. Mm -hmm. But what I will um, say is that you look at a company like ClickFunnels. And I remember one of the first lessons I learned in, uh, when I used to work for the ski shop. I showed up late one day. And I didn't mean to. I thought that it was my very first day of work. I thought that I was supposed to start at 9.30. My start time was 9. I, I, it was just an honest mistake. And I showed up er thinking I'm early. And he's like, hey, you're 20 minutes late. And I was like, what? I literally thought it was 9.30. So anyways, he said, Ross, I'm going to teach you a lesson today. It's your very first lesson. If you're going to ever be late, what you do is this. You call and you say, hey, guys, I'm running a little late because I stopped by to get some donuts. What's your favorite kind of donut? And then when you show up, you better have the donuts. He's like, because because I tried that once, but I actually bring the donut with those <laughs> late. And and so he's like, here's the reason why late is late. Whether you're 20 minutes late, 15 minutes late, an hour late, late is late. Better make up for it. So you look at ClickFunnels. Two years ago, they came out and said, here's the software we're going to be launching click funnels 2.0 and they showed the whole entire thing. And I'll, I have a development team. I know how the, we could have, if we had their revenue, we don't have their revenue. If we had their revenue. I could have exactly what 2.0 is right now built within six to nine months mm -hmm. because I'd have the team that could do it. They are more interested in marketing than they are in product development. And that's, this is a full reflection of that because ah. you look at it, why in the world though, does their come and why is it that they launched a product 
they should have just waited. They should, they could, it would have been better for them to wait another year even to get I it just right. I think their idea was that they had a competitor that they had to give it a shot is what my instinct was that they felt. You mean like go high level? I mean, what it's happening in front of our face right now. And, and obviously we're, we're not going to have as much time, but I, we're not going to get into it, but look at Chad GVT. You have Google right now just came out with their own desk and they're trying to swing at it. And everybody was like, oh, this is pretty generic. It doesn't look that good, but almost at market, it's almost like, well, we have to come out with something. Look at, look at the, um, look at the electric cars that, uh, you know, GM's coming out with and they're like, Oh, it's so amazing. And you're like, it's not even close to the Tesla. And it's yeah. like, there might've been a position in that conversation in the back rooms where they said, we better make this move or we're going to be archaic. And that yeah, might've been I, a swing. They didn't have a choice. I'm, I'm not giving I, them an excuse by any means. I'm thinking about I, the squeeze that I would feel. <laughs> I'm just thinking, though, that this goes back to the problem that they're seeing now. It goes back to their first and second year in business. Mm. And the reason I and it's now blowing up in their face. They've been able to delay it till now. And now it's blowing up because uh, I had that issue with lead care. So when we when I was on stage, when you came to my event and I was showing how lead care works, if I did not use it in just a certain way, it would break. It was like you even Steve said Jobs, it. You actually <laughs> said, I? you know, I'm, yeah, yeah. I think you were like, hey, there's some things that are still unglitchy. And I think you had, that's probably your same software guy you, you that was the deliberately. And um, he and I are very good friends to this day. But yeah, I remember being, uh, thinking about Steve Jobs, how he had to switch iPhones in between the presentation to for the ones that would work. But yeah. what I was just going to say, I know we only got a couple minutes here, is that when you neglect your product for all those years, rather than. They could have, they, there's no reason why they needed a 2.0 that you can't migrate to in software because you should always be up building your software. Like you should always be oh, upgrading and delivering, upgrading never been, and delivering. There should have exactly. never been an end to ClickFunnels 1. It should have been positioned to always be growing and, and adding those. And I think that's what Go High Level did. They started, and, and I think there's a little bit of Go High Level is getting kind of wild. But I think that it, at the end, I think that you're right. I think that there could have been more of a, but like I said, I don't think they felt like they were in, they, I don't think they felt like they had a competition. I mean, I think that, well, like, oh, either that or they never, the yeah, or they never thought they'd have a sustainable company because they are a mm. marketing company that happened to have, if you think about it, they're like an MLM structure with the software. Mm -hmm. That's how they've built their company. Those companies are not product centric, they're marketing centric, centric. Mm -hmm. And we're, doing it the opposite. We're focused on the product, on the customer. Go listen to, you know, Dave Rogan Moser's, all of his interviews with software companies on that scale or die, all these different, you will quickly see that the big Zapier companies, they're just focused on a good product, customer centricity, and, and it grew. And, and I'm not saying you do that to neglect marketing. If you can do both, it's even better, but that's where I think their issues are. Anyway. Well, I, I wanted to tap one more because it's kind of how it, I, I kind of wanted to get in a, a kind of an overview. And I know we met with Caracon and things like that. And it's funny you say that we were talking earlier. I was like, I, I, in some events, I just go show up. I mean, I was really like, all right, who am I going to meet this time? Sometimes I'll show up. And, um, but I, I, I wanted to ask you, what was your experience of that? Cause you did two of them. Am I right? No. So the first thing I did was Milwaukee mastermind. That was a lot of fun. That was about I don't know, 80 people. And we rented out like a, at a hotel space, like a meet, a nice little meeting venue. The second one was miserable. 
the one you came to was horrible. Yeah. It was a lot and of the re- it, it was just like, so here's what, where I, I went wrong in so many different levels. On A, I was too big for my bridges. Like I thought we'd actually fill all the seats. But I partnered up with another guy who was another ClickFunnels guru. And he basically said, Ross, I'll do all this marketing. I'll dream 100 everything. You do the back end. You pay for everything, this, this, and this, and then we'll split the profits. Well, I was more interested in brand exposure than worrying about turning a profit on the event. So anyways, we have like 600 people registered. You saw the event. 150 showed up. Mm-hmm. So maybe double from the year before, but it looked empty because you've got this empty auditorium. auditorium. Keep in mind, I'm about $125,000 into this event. I paid Damon John like $70,000 to come mm-hmm. speak. And you told me that, yeah. And, and so it was a, a nightmare of an event, event that I just lost a ton of money on. <laughs> and then after, dude has the nerve to come up and hit me for like 30000 try to hit me up for $30,000, and which I didn't end up doing. We ended up. You know, I'm like, no, like, there's yeah. no seat there. But anyways, it was a uh, miserable experience. And I will likely never do an event again because I don't think that that is a fast way to growth on a software like one. I think attending other people's events and having a booth space and being a speaker is probably less stress and more in oh. tune with what I want to do. And, and I think my wife- faster. Yeah, I think my wife might kill me if I said I'm throwing another big event. I'll do. I would do micro events. Like I would host like, like fifty to hundred people at like a hotel, and we may. Like, I would do that all day long. But I am never going to pay for a massive venue. I say that and just watch five years from now. Yeah, like, consolidated know, big venue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I have it on video. It's bullshit. Yeah. It it took. <laughs> but me I think it also stop. has to do with strategic partners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I think that still I, not over that though. <laughs> I'm still feeling oh. the, the, the like the scars from that event. Oh, but I think that another thing too, putting that in perspective though, you put yourself in front of some pretty interesting people. And oh, yeah. you kind of positioned yourself. And I think that um what was the did you what was the cut of carrot con? Why did you stop that? Because you stopped the software? Well, we only ever did it once and it was a miserable experience. Um but yeah, you know, I guess I'll tell you what ended up wasn't it led off I, of lead carrot or something? It was from lead carrot, but I I'm trying to say things in the nicest way without pointing any fingers to anyone. That's yeah. why I'm trying to be selective in my words. But part <laughs> yeah. of it here comes down to there comes a point where the brand is bigger than the product. And I'm really good at that. Like I'm really good at making the brand bigger than the product is. But the product at some point needs to catch up with the brand. And if you're not seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. then at some point you're like, but you know, like right now, the people that bought lead care because I sold it, the people that bought it, they've not hardly done a thing to market mm-hmm. it. And I can still see they're taking on a ton of users every day into that mm-hmm. platform just from the marketing that I did while I was a part of it. And so, you know, that was the main reason why I ended up stopping. And, and it just wasn't beneficial. You know, you try things in business, but I will say one thing that did, there was like two or three things that are like, if you were to try to calculate 
the the return on investment, I would say this is where it came from. It was not tangible, mm-hmm. but I guarantee you, we profited on the the money from the event, even though it was a loss. To this, well, I mean, we're day, on this. We're here now. <laughs> that and to yeah, this day, we're I see people. Now. Oh, for sure, and yeah. and we would have never met, Mm-mm. but also yeah. like. To this day, I see Facebook posts of people with Damon John standing in front of a lead carrot. Yeah. Uh, a lead carrot fan. Yeah. Um, I, I did end up meeting with um, Damon John's team. Nothing really ever came too much of it. But I, during the event, during his speaking, one of the guys tapped on my shoulder like his big tall bodyguard. He was like, yeah, Damon, what's your number? And so I gave the guy my number and um, uh, they did call me and they, they asked me, to get on a call with their marketing, Damon John has a marketing agency, and they said, "Well, Damon feels like the only reason we get clients is because of his name." So we were hoping you could give us some advice on like getting clients like in a gritty way without using his name. And so I was like, "Oh, sure." So we started talking. I showed him lead carrot, and then the holidays were coming and COVID stuff and all that fell off, and so um, we never reunited. I, I that, that's they, they, it. it was really funny. I don't know if you caught this, but. Man, he really, it, it wasn't that many people there. And like, he was treated like as if he was like, uh, like royalty or something. <laughs> I was like, yeah, was like, there's not that many people here. Like, we, it didn't seem, you know, yeah. it was kind of a funny feeling if you remember that. I was like, you got these big old bodyguards. I'm like, I don't think anybody's after you, bro. I think he doesn't know. He didn't know coming to it, like what it was going to be, you know? And, yeah. um, and I got to talk to him for about 15, 20 minutes before it in his little green room, just he and I sitting there in the chair. That was a cool experience. Not worth $70,000, but it was a cool experience. Um, so whatever. We said we, we, now it was the write-off. <laughs> big write-off. Big write-off. Oh, big time. Well, dude, this is this has been awesome, man. Um, appreciate you coming on. This is, this has been a lot of value. I'm sure a lot of people are going to listen. There's a lot of takeaways here. I mean, I think a lot of just don't do what this guy does. No, no, yeah. Whatever you do, (laughs) you do a little less of what Ross does, but also do a lot more of what he does. So it's kind of a boomerang (laughs) here. So we're going to throw it out there like that. Where could, uh, and we didn't get a chance. Maybe we'll do another one in, in some time, but, um, you know, consolidate. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes and share a little bit about it? Let's take an opportunity to just kind of talk a little bit about it. What is the trigger yep. on that, and and what was the problem that you wanted to solve? Yeah, so I'll be quick on it. It's really easy. Agency reporting and business reporting and marketing reporting sucks. Uh, the options out there are terrible. There are companies out there like Supermetrics, DataBox. I'm just naming competitors at this point. And they kind of do an okay job. But the problem with all of them is either they charge you a lot of money based off data sources, which is just kind of like a scam. It's like when you used to pay for a wallpaper on your phone. Like, it's kind of silly. Uh, and then the secondary piece of that is there's just a lack of flexibility in the reporting. So yeah. we, we always just landed on spreadsheets. But spreadsheets are ugly. So Consolidate has been designed in a way that you can take a ton of data sources with the flexibility of a spreadsheet, create a cool dashboard, and you can put it right into your Go High Level account. You can do it as a standalone product. You don't have to be a Go High Level user for it. And very soon we'll have like print tracking, the attribution that I was telling you that we've started building out. So it's a really neat marketing metric tool. So, you know, and it, you can go on the website, consolidated.ai, and you can just watch a demo of it. Everything's right there. Very cool, man. So where would you like people to uh, 
find come you see or me. consolidate well, my Where, my address is um <laughs> well i don't think at this point it's going to be an event so let's go ahead and see if we can get that yeah you know what if you there's two places i guess just our, our website consolidated.ai and then also youtube if you go on youtube and you just type in consolidate you'll see our channel it's very small um so feel free to check out what we're doing in there as well well this has been an awesome podcast i appreciate you coming on man and this this is going to end our time together but it doesn't end our friendship and so today uh we are going to also go back if you enjoyed this podcast be sure to go look at we brought up some seo stuff a guy named steve wiedemann and he is also a guest on the podcast great guy seo look for him as well and as for that thanks a lot ross it's been an amazing experience and i'll be sure to have you back on thanks a lot brother yeah thanks for having me if you like this episode make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the youtube channel just like nike is to athletes moved is to entrepreneurs 